Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Okay, Island Hoppers and Archipelago enthusiasts, welcome back to the podcast where we examine Islander life in 1998. If your islands are long and road, that is. And if you happen to be a fan of the band Fish, I am. In fact, I write lyrics for them now and then. I'm Tom Marshall, and you are listening to another glorious episode of Undermine. This season on Undermine, we examined the shows that led up to 1997, and then we revisited every show from the fall of 1997 in the Fish Destroys America tour. And now we're looking at the four shows that happened immediately after 1997 that kind of served as a punctuation mark on the era, the island tour. The past two episodes featured Long Island's NASA Coliseum on April 2nd and 3rd, uh, 1998. And today we're island hopping over to Rhode Island for the final two nights of what was then a surprise four-night bonus run that Fish booked last minute so that they could get some more playtime before recording their next studio album. Benji, one word answer. What was that studio album? Ghost. Yes. They were in search of inspiration and also an outlet for their inspired playing. They kept it going, and we were along for the ride. My companions on this ride today are my Undermine co-hosts and fellow producers, RJB and Benji Eisen. Do you guys remember Jumping Islands? 
Well, I, I do. Um, I did it the proper way, of course, which is by boat. Um, that's right. I, I took a ferry from Long Island to Rhode Island. I was with my my tour buddy, Jason Melham, and you know our whole crew at the time. And apparently, I made some friends on the ferry ride because years later, someone reintroduced themselves to me as one of those ferry mates. Um, and uh, while I'm, I'm one of those, you know, it's all about the music guys, but sometimes it's actually all about the boat. <laughs> you know, I don't woo, but, I, but I'll I ahoy. Um, <laughs> so, Tom, I guess that's a setting sail. I hit a whale <laughs> to you. How did you get from Nassau to Providence? I wish on a boat ride. I mean, I want a ferry mate. Who doesn't? They sound lovely. Um, but um, I don't think I even considered the boat ride because... I had a caravan of friends with cars available, but I even ditched them and opted uh, at that time to jump on the band bus because at the time I kind of had an open invite from Trey, come on the bus whenever you can. And I was definitely going to Rhode Island. So I jumped on. And if I'm remembering right, um, we had a police escort out of the lot. And that's the kind of thing when, when Brad says to me, Tom, if you want to ride on the bus, you have to get on before the last member is on. And then we both, because we're not going to, we're, we're not going to wait for you. Right. And so we both look at each other and we're, we both say at the same time, Fishman, <laughs> he is the last member, last band member on the bus. So he said, yep, just watch fish. And when he gets on, you get on. So uh, the bus is ready right after encore. The door is open. The, the bus is running and the band basically has to jump on because the cops are holding up all the traffic so the bus can get through the lots before the roads all jam up. And the only time they need to do this is when the band's playing the next day. You know, there's no day off between shows. So that was fun. That was kind of cool. Trey is sometimes like has the PA on and like yells things at the crowd and the cops, the, the motorcycles escorting us. Um, so it's kind of a guilty pleasure thinking of all the traffic snarl that it's creating. But uh, the bus ride was short, I think three hours. And I think we stayed in the Westin. All my uh, pals the next day were checking into the Hilton. I think that's right next to the Civic Center. But I think we were in a Weston. Anyway, that doesn't matter. RJ, how about you? Um, I, I don't remember, but I think that we drove, um, I would assume, from, <laughs> from Nassau Coliseum to Providence. And um, this was this was great. I mean, it was great to be in Providence, you know, just one or two or three or four years removed from from the the Providence Bowie. Um, I think four actually. But um based on contractual obligations, this four four ninety-eight show had to open with tweezer. We knew that, <laughs> that that was that was gonna happen because it closed the the they closed the show before with tweezer reprise, so they didn't want to get fines and pies in the face from Wooks. So they had to open the tweezer. Um, but this, I think was my only backstage experience of the 1.0 era. And, and Tom and Benji, you guys have talked throughout this season about running into each other at, at shows. And I never ran into either of you at any show until, you know, recently, but somehow I think maybe at Waterwheel or Greenpeace or something, we bought a signed copy of a book. Um, I guess maybe it was, was the fish book out then in early 98. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it, anyway, yeah, we, I, I think that sounds about right because that was 97 was, uh, for 97 was the tour where, where Richard was on with the, with the band and Tom, you were seeing him a lot at that point. Yep. Yep. So yeah. we got a signed book and, and like, I think it was signed by all four band members. I don't have it anymore. I have no idea what happened to it, but it got us backstage. And so we were in a bar area after the show and it was, 
not the same area where Tom, you were, I don't think, because there was nobody there except Mike and Mike <laughs> was talking to a group of us and we were just listening to Mike talk and someone was telling him about, I think we were talking about the lights at the show and he started talking about how he thought it would be cool if there was a tennis ball launcher, like they have at tennis courts, like in the back of the arena that launched tennis balls, like throughout the show toward the stage and that that would be a really good like addition to the, the light show and the experience for fans. And my friend and I just kind of stood there and we were like, what the hell is happening? So I think that's like pretty, pretty on, on par with the with that. Sounds like Mike. <laughs> it does sound like Mike. But I, I thought that was backstage, but I think that was the, that was the, the pre backstage area. Yeah. There's, there's backstage and then there's backstage. You were backstage yeah, layers exactly. layers exactly we were definitely in the first layer um, security layers <laughs> yeah so should we get into the show should we talk about the show okay so okay there have been 10 tweezer openers all time this was only the third and the other two were in fall 97 and it's kind of amazing because it does happen obviously several times after this but it, it was like kind of a new thing and it's just i feel like they brought the the energy from the previous two nights with them to this new venue. And, you know, this, this tweezer is really great. I think this show is slightly kind of overlooked in the, in the four show run, but um, I don't know, we can get into that, but Trey kind of gets into this effect laden sound that sounds a little bit like 11, 17, 97 and other fall 97 shows. And then there's this great peak toward the end and then right into taste, which I think is a great song, especially in this era. And, um, I don't know this this tweezer taste. I remember getting the tapes after after getting home, and this was a this was probably the set that I listened to the most. But it's probably because I'm a tweezer person. What what's your take on this set? Well, I'm a tweezer person too, so set opens with tweezer, taste, blah blah blah, limb by limb. Um, <laughs> you know, does, despite my jade shade, it's it's a fantastic first set. And um, RJ, I think you you know you just said something that 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 triggered something in my mind, and that's that we haven't talked about. How, well, I guess now is the time to talk about it. They change venues, but it's this is undeniably one big four night run. And I think, you know, as we talked about it just a few minutes ago, how we all got up there by boat or by 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 uh, bus or by car, you know, we all made it. And so uh, there kind of was this mass migration and that's kind of cool too. And then to open with tweezer, releasing all that energy, it's pretty, pretty cool. You know, um, and, you know, you're not going to find a, a single set of the island tour that, that doesn't have fantastic as its baseline. 
Um, some of the sets get that designation, I think, more for their jamming, and then others, uh, the first sets, get it more for their execution, I think. Um, and this set would be the latter. Uh, it's it's a three-highlight set with a tweezer that bears repeating repeatedly. Um, the taste gets after it, and the limb-by-limb it, it gallops, gallops to its peak. Tom, you know, I don't think we've talked about limb by limb yet. It was less than a year old at the time, which probably contributed to some of the excitement that night in Providence. But, you know, to this day, 25 years later, I still get excited when they when they play the song. Uh, did you write it as a conversation from two narrator, narrators? Or was it the, you know, was the duet that happens between Paige and Trey a musical decision that came in later? Um, no, we wrote it that way. Uh, so you can hear it, actually, the very first version of this on um, Trampled by Lambs and Pecked by the Dove. Uh, that came out, actually, in 2000, so after this tour, well after. But it contains all the songs, well, a lot of the songs that eventually wound up on Ghost and farmhouse and this is one of them um but so the lyrics uh were created um separately previously during a work day it was one of those uh it was written as a conversation via inter-office email with my my pal at uh t scott herman and i think I, uh, we didn't write it like line by line the way that the song goes but i think i wrote the entire first part the never the whole never stands and never want my hand cut off, never want a hacking cough. And then I sent it to Scott and then he wrote the always stanza back to me. Always give me what I lack. Always take the best parts back. And so we took turns and I think we wrote four of those. But then when Trey and I sang it for the demo, um, I think he sang the first line, never want my hand cut off because he doesn't want his hand cut off. Um, and, uh, and then I answered and it was just sort of a natural thing. And we recorded it that way. Uh, and then Paige, of course, took took my part in the he took my singing part for fish. But I think that was a hardball question, right, Benji? <laughs> Absolutely. The, only the hardest. That was like <laughs> only a, the hardest on undermine. That was a sidearm slider or something. Um, but um, I, I talked over the character zero set closer. And do you know what that means? It means it's set break. Uh, you would have blah, blah, blah over it any Benji. That's right. Just, just like you did um, Bouncing Around the Room, Funky Bitch, Vincent <laughs> yeah. Sullivan. Um, so anyway, our set breaks are just one minute or so, and we have to check out our sponsors. So just hang out. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. 
Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome back to Undermine, where we are currently out to lunch on Island Tour. As the Eagles sang, she came from Providence, one in Rhode Island. Uh, Tom, can I you a bit a better song that references islands or, or Providence? <laughs> well, it turns out you handpicked that one for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it or hate the love or hate the Eagles. Uh, Don Henley's voice is kind of amazing. That's all I can say. Well, I, I hadn't picked it, but what can I say? There's there's a writer strike, and undermine Estelle for the time being, free form and Chat GPT free. But but at least by mentioning Chat GPT, we're, we're current, right? And and by being a hundred percent human, we're so very 1998 right now, or or 97 by some people's accounting, since fish years go until the end of April, apparently. Oh, it's true. Facts. Don't let facts get in the way of your reporting. No. All right. So speaking of eagles, and we're not speaking <laughs> of eagles. All right. So we get the second birds of a feather in three shows to open set two. And this one is really, really awesome. Um, this picks up on some of the kind of darker themes of the past two nights. Lots of these like swirling effects from Paige with Trey, just on the little riffs that are sort of like the the twist and the roses from the past couple nights. But this, um, the birds... Birds of a Feather comes to life here, and um, it's it's a pretty great uh, second. And and the you know the second time in three nights is is rare to hear any any song from Fish, but this one uh, this one I loved it. It was great. You know, when I when I said that the first two birds of a feather feather of an eagle were the uh were the, the best two for many years, I, I meant more this one than the debut, you know, uh, two nights earlier, as you just mentioned, RJ. Um, you know, as usual, the debut was kind of like a beta test or like a live demo uh that just happened to be a very strong one. But and I think we all immediately recognized the potential for the song. But this version, the second one that they ever did, for years, it was kind of the version. You know, it's it's the only repeat of the Island Tour. And, and they they did a no-repeat New Year's Eve run just before this. But it, it's worth noting that I think one of the things that made both of these consecutive Fortnite runs so exciting was that in 97 and 98, four shows without a repeat or with just one repeat, you know, was a, was a rare treat. I'm, I'm getting away from the birds. Uh, the four to one 
Uh, I'm sorry, the the four the four two one, the April second one peaked, and here two nights later, this show doesn't really have many actual like peaks, despite having many highlights. By peak, I just mean apex jamming. You know, it, it's the highlights are more in the groove and the the improvisational textures that they form, uh, and the places and the spaces that they go with them. Uh, and I think that these, you know, as we've talked about these four nights on the islands were kind of the punctuation mark on the Cal Funk era. So so this one doesn't peak per se, but it stretches uh, for 15 minutes, goes to some really cool places and, and gets into some really neat, neat rhythmic stuff. And then after this uh, performance of it, the song immediately made it into a very heavy rotation. But it would be another year before we saw any that would come close to the inventiveness that I think we see here with this one. So did you like it? <laughs> yes, I liked it. I um, liked it. But yeah. yeah, very much. I think this is the most interesting set of the run song-wise. I think that throwing in the brother, which is the longest version played um, to this point, to this point in 98 and to this point in 2023. Mm. But after like a dark and fun and funky 2001, um, and I was thinking about it when I was listening back to this. 2001, they've been playing it pretty consistently since 93, but it kind of like came of age during this era of 97, 98. The, it fits perfectly with where the style of play was going. Of course, it was it's the cover of like the 70s, you know, version of the song, but they kind of come to came together. They kept playing the song over time and eventually the music they were playing and the, the style of the song like fit together. I feel like this, you know, through 98 and 99, especially they're just these like long ambient funky 2001s. It's just such a great, great thing to throw in a set. get we get another uh, radio friendly version of brother and then we get a radio unfriendly song <laughs> which a ghost which again is another you know you get some kind of major key jamming here and it hits this some nice like bliss points but this uh this set's really cool i think it's a fun a fun set well constructed song wise you know <clears throat> to me i agree and uh to me though the the story of this ghost is the uh, it's a it's a callback to the December 29th, you know, just a few shows earlier, uh, can't turn you loose. The and the antics from from that uh, jam there. The the band does it again here, and that's of note because throughout these four nights, there seems to be a number of those callbacks to that New Year's Eve run. The the there were three months in between the two runs, but they were consecutive runs. So that means that this is the second time in six shows that they do a full band tease of can't turn you loose. 
So that means they are feeling the vibe. And, you know, perhaps perhaps they went from watching that James Brown film to popping a Blues Brothers tape into the VCR on the tour bus. Because uh, that's where Can't Turn You Loose comes from, of course. <laughs> and then, see, I feel like we're kind of glossing over this show a little bit, but this is this is how <laughs> I feel about the show. That <laughs> you have a you have a Bowie closer and a hood encore, and you know, so so in this just in this set, you got a great ghost. You have this jammed out birds of feather, two thousand one Bowie, and then you get the hood encore that we were all waiting for, you know, for several nights, um, and it, it's a good one. Yeah, I think what you're getting at too, RJ, is that the show has a 1994 problem. Uh, I, I don't like using the word problem because it's really not a problem at all. But uh, RJ, I remember, you know, a few episodes back, a few shows back, you expressed a curiosity about the December 29th show being kept in a trophy case on the top shelf in fans' memories. Uh, whereas, you know, 1230, I think you felt was a little bit more you understood. And, and I postulated that I think some of that was because it was such a classic peak era fish set list, you know. Uh, and so you have a late set lizards here and then closing with Bowie and a hood encore. It, it's that same muscle memory excitement uh, from the 94, 90, you know, from those set lists that, that a lot of us, you know, saw in person. And I think I'll hear all three of these were real were the, the the Bowie, the Hood, the Lizards. They were well executed, but if not all timers in and of themselves. You know, you don't need to go back and listen to them. Uh, you know, but yet they but when you do, they, they hold up. I, you know, I do have to wonder, I wondered it at the time, and I still wonder it now, if that David Bowie was an intentional nod to the untouchable. Providence Bowie of 94 that we mentioned at the top of this program, because that Bowie really is untouchable. And, and, you know, you say Providence Bowie immediately, everybody knows it's iconic. Uh, and, you know, I think when they walk in that room, you know, I think they have to feel that memory, right? Or do you think that they, they nod to those sort of moments by playing the song in the same room again? Often when they do that, it's usually more of a standard version that doesn't try to compete but it, sometimes it feels like they're trying to just acknowledge the history. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know if this is like a secret or anything, but I remember when I kind of saw it and it was probably on this tour um, for the first time, Trey in the morning, like will construct the set list or at least come up with like a bunch of songs that can be potentially in the set list. I think he talks a page about it, but um, I saw that he would have in front of him um on the morning of the show when he's coming up with those songs a set list from the last time they played there which i thought was kind of like i didn't know if it was like cheating or something but also there were like special notes and i was wondering if it was maybe from brad or uh, kevin shapiro the uh their archivist reminding trey about any kind of special occurrence either currently or in the past that he should take into consideration um, you know, the anniversary of a, a famous rocker or or something, you know, suggestions of a song to play to honor someone, perhaps. Um, so it's quite conceivable to me uh, that Trey had in his head any kind of magic that they had performed at that arena in the past. And that may have included a note from Kevin about that 94 Bowie. Remember that you crushed it here. Not that they, you know, not that he would have forgotten. And yet uh, that's the kind of thing I, I, I remember seeing. And being sort of a little bit surprised and and you know it, it's a it's a cool uh, little feature I, yeah that's super cool i hope that they keep doing that or i hope that they've continued to do that because it's really cool yeah and i think i think nowadays you'll see like the you know of course the shoreline shows when tahoe 
was moved. Like there, there are moments when they, I think they're channeling that, like, we are really going to bring something. Self-referencing. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't, that's really interesting. I mean, this was their, they played one show in between the Providence Bowie show and this one in this venue. And in that, at that show in 95, they did not play Bowie. So this is the first Bowie in this building since the Providence Bowie of 94. So maybe, I mean, it, it was like everything on this tour. Great. Um, No other bands covered it in between fish playing it. Well, yeah, there there were a lot, but I, I that's in the notes. Um, you know, to, I'll, 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 I'll go to the show notes for that. You know, well, I I also wonder if the Bowie was a, a nod to. I think that they that David Bowie recorded uh, part of a live album in the Providence Civic Center, and I wonder if Trey know that knew that it was. I, I believe stage uh, a part of a part of stage may have been recorded there. I don't know anything about Is that. That, right? that sounds amazing. Yeah, that sounds I totally so. made up yeah. and awesome. <laughs> um i just want to say chat gpt <laughs> oh my god we can't do that um if i would ask chat gpt anything it would be how do i end up coming to these recordings on time that's that's my only thing that's my only question for ai um guys i have we're, we're I have, not there yet we're not there I have, yet i do have interesting news for you guys which i think is you know coming from a statistics perspective i don't think I'm pretty sure that Fish has not played David Bowie at the Providence Civic Center again since this night in 1998. They played several shows since then, but so we're we're waiting for the return of the Providence Bowie, but I guess they have to return to Providence first. Um so Benji, this show is rated 20th of all time on fish.net. I I go back and forth be- between whether it's slightly overlooked or if it's appropriately rated. So is it overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated at twenty at number twenty all time? Well, this is undermine, so I'm going with underrated. Um, although you know, it, it, it. I don't know if I'd put it in top twenty, but it's underrated in relation to the the three shows around it. Uh, it has a, a three's a crowd predicament, as it is sandwiched between what is arguably the best show of 1997, even though it is 1998, which happened <laughs> the night before, and then the following night. <laughs> which is tomorrow night for our listeners. So therefore I can't say anything about it except that, you know, if you like what we're saying today, you'll love what we have to say tomorrow. So come back. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, RJ, there is, uh, there is something special about this show and I'm sure we all knew it at the time, but then over time it kind of got lost in the shadow of these two giants that are on either side of them. So, you know, underrated, undermine as opposed to overrated bug. <laughs> overrated like yeah. overrated benji sometimes your opinions are overrated i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> underrated too though as often i think and underlooked and underlooked <laughs> <laughs> um uh okay uh but you're kind of leaving out show one that's right that's right and show one was was uh not only phenomenal that that see right there's what made the island tour the island tour you get a group of six of Sid's, you know, tour buddies in the room and you get four answers amongst the Sid's people as to which night was the best. And each night will have somebody that, that trumpets it as being the best of the run. And but two and, and four special. get two and four are kind of like acknowledged. Yeah. Overwhelmingly. Right. Two, two and four are the big one for me. If I'm using myself as a litmus test, if I go back to the Island tour, I'm almost definitely going to four, three, uh, set two or, the second set of tomorrow night. Nice. 
All right. Well, we have one more show to recap, as you can hear us discussing tomorrow, and that's uh, 4598 from Providence, Rhode Island. Again, and if you want to take off, take off. But if not, we have a lot more scintillating discussion then. Undermine is brought to you by Osiris Media. Executive producers are Tom Marshall, RJB, and Benji Eisen. Edited by Eric Limarenko. Mixed and mastered by Matt Dwyer. Production assistance from Nick Sejas. Original music by Amar Sastry. And art by Mark Dowd. Osiris. Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. 